Hi. All right. So, good evening. My name is Nicole. Um, I think I've met most of you. I am Josh's wife. <laughs> and I was born and raised on Maui. So when Kaipo asked me to share my testimony, he asked for me to share out of having come from where most of you are. And so that is what I'm going to do tonight. And before I get started, um, in light of Valentine's Day and love and purity, Kaipo wanted me to um, emphasize a certain, just certain decisions that I made as a youth. And so I want you to think of any questions you might have about purity, about um, making decisions, about lust, about love, any type of questions like that you might have for me. Um, hopefully I'll answer some of those questions in my sharing, but if not, we're going to have a quick Q&A after. Okay, so open your Bibles to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. Thirty-four, yeah. Thirty-four, we're going to be in verse six. So before I share my story, I wanted to share a little bit of God's character with you so you have this in the background of your mind. Starting in verse six, then the Lord passed in front of him, him being Moses, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Okay. Bear with me. I'm going to read my testimony to you because sometimes it gets difficult for me to share and I forget the important things. So, I wrote it out, and I timed it. It only takes five minutes, so hang in there, okay? Five minutes. So you can do this, too. Do you want to write out your testimony? It's a little bit easier to share. Yes. All right. <sighs> I have not always been a Christian, but I'm extremely grateful to be one now. I wasn't until I was 14 years old that I realized my need for Christ. To understand my journey, let me explain a bit of my background. I grew up with two loving parents in two different homes. When I was five, my parents separated. My brothers were three and 18 months. It wasn't until I was nine that they finalized the divorce. I vaguely remember those four years of struggle, but I do remember feeling confused and frustrated. A five-year-old can't fully comprehend the, comp the concept of divorce, but looking back on it now, over 20 years later, I definitely struggled with abandonment and attachment issues. I remember asking my parents, if you're moving out, mom, and if you're moving out, dad, who's going to stay with me in the house? So they looked at me, and they saw the confusion of their oldest child, and they met it with loads of love and distractions. My brothers and I were kept very busy as kids. We went back and forth from house to house on a weekly basis. 
we all struggled with the effects of divorce, one being loyalty, and because of this, we grew closer as siblings. I learned to cope with my confusion and frustration by keeping myself busy and trying to succeed in everything put in front of me. I got good grades and was very active in school and community service. If I couldn't hold things together, I never allowed anyone to see me cry. I learned to hold it in until I was alone in the shower. In my childhood and adolescence, I thought and I acted like everything was fine, but inside, I had a broken heart. I felt alone in a battle against the world around me. I felt I had to be strong for my brothers. They counted on me. In my teens, I immersed myself into more and more school and community activities. I didn't realize it then, but I was approaching my breaking point. My maternal grandparents were very religious and they made sure my brothers and I knew right from wrong. As the obedient oldest child, I tagged along and went to church with my grandma on a weekly basis. I even attended church classes regularly. While in one of these classes, I started really questioning a lot of things. I was told, accept things by faith. And I was warned not to ask too many questions. This didn't sit well with me. At that time, I had a neighbor and close friend who I spent a lot of time with. We did Girl Scouts together and we went on fun adventures. She invited me to a couple youth camp events, one through her school and another through her church. I denied her the first year saying, I have my own church, but because of her persistence, I agreed to go with her the following year. I started to realize my need for Christ when I started questioning religion to no avail. I had so many questions and all of the answers I received, if any for that matter, still left me wanting more. My neighbor friend encouraged me to be open and have fun with her during the church camps, and that's what I did. But the more I heard from the Bible, the more questions I had. The more questions I asked, the more people pointed me to the Bible. My world, as I understood it, started falling apart around me. I started to realize that the routine and the rituals I participated in were pointless. I started to feel the emptiness that I struggled with as a kid start to surface again, along with that same confusion and frustration. While at the second youth camp, I felt I really needed to talk with one of the counselors about some of my questions. The speaker that night brought up some points that really set off red flags in my mind. He mentioned that if I couldn't pinpoint a time in my life that I gave my life to Christ, then I wasn't a true believer in Christ. After listening to the message, I approached my team counselor and poured out my questions. I remember asking, how can God hear and answer the prayers of all the people everywhere all the time? She sensed my desire and urgency to have all the answers. And so she, like others before her, pointed me once again to the Bible. She had me read John 3.16, but she had me insert my name in a few spots. For God so loved Nicole that he gave his own one and only son that if Nicole believes in him, Nicole shall not perish but have eternal life. It got me thinking about God in a personal way. She told me, keep praying that God would give me the answers, and then she sent me on my way. <laughs> the next morning, during the scheduled block of time, campers were supposed to read their Bibles and pray. I was directed to read Colossians 3. By the time I got to verse 2, 
set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, I finally realized my need for Jesus and Jesus alone. I remember telling myself, if I believe God is in control of everything, why wouldn't I give my life to him? I pray that he would come into my life and live through me. I was 14 then. I'm 28 now, right? Okay. Since then, he has replaced the feelings of emptiness with his fullness and overflowing abundance. He's replaced the loneliness with companionship that never leaves me. He's replaced my confusion and frustration with a peace that transcends all understanding. Now, some of you can relate to me in being filled with the Holy Spirit and being empowered and directed by him. Since then, I've seen my mom and my youngest brother come to Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, I got married to an amazing godly man, right? Um, God has revealed the gift set that he's given to me um, to use for his glory. And I am now embarking in a season of motherhood. I have two young boys, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so when Kaipo asked me to share, he asked me to share in light of Valentine's Day about purity. And so now I'm going to take you back to Exodus, okay? We're going to be talking about grace, mercy, and purity. So look back with me, Exodus 34, verse 6. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Okay, if you're a note taker, this might be the time for you to take out a piece of paper and a pen. If not, please listen, because we're going to get into this. Okay. God is telling Moses who he is right here. So let me set up the context for you. If you remember the story of the Israelites, they were captive in Egypt, right? They made their miraculous escape by God's hand, and they're in transit. They're in the wilderness, and they're heading to the promised land. Moses and Aaron go up on a mountain to talk to God. They're up there so long. Aaron wasn't up there, actually. It was Moses and Joshua, I think. They were up there so long that the people decided that they wanted to worship idols again. Okay? So they ask Aaron to fashion an idol for them. Moses comes back down the mountain with the tablets of the law, and he is so mad that he throws them down and shatters them. He's just astounded that this would happen. He talks to the people, and he's like, if you're with me, get over here right now. The people that came were saved. Everybody else was slaughtered, okay? And so God goes back, or no, Moses goes back up to the mountain to talk with God and plead for the people. And he says, if you're with me, show me who you are, God. Show me who you are. And so Moses was put in a, in a rock, and God put his hand over him and walked past him so Moses could see his presence and in doing so, he proclaims these things about himself. Yahweh, Yahweh, that's his name. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in unfailing love. Some of the translations say steadfast love, unfailing love. 
right? And then he goes on to talk about how he's forgiving. But then we have the but. It says, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now, the first part of that about his love and his graciousness sounds great, right? But towards the end, you're like, wait, what? You said you're forgiving, but then you're not. What do you mean, God? And so as I was studying this and looking into it, um, I came across another pastor who talked about it, and he wanted to interpret scripture with scripture. So he looked in the scriptures, and he tried to find where else in the Bible do people refer back to the scripture. And he took us to Joel and to Jonah. And Joel, if you want to write this down, it's Joel 2, 12 and 13, he talks about, he, he refers back to this verse. And he shows us that forgiveness is for the people who repent. God does forgive. He forgives if you repent. However, he refuses to forgive if you don't repent. So, forgiveness is for the repentant. Refusal of forgiveness is for those who don't repent. And Jonah also uses this scripture to refer to God's nature of, of being forgiving. So it's not a contradiction when he says, I forgive, but I hold on. Okay? He does forgive if you're repentant, but if you're not, he will not clear the guilty. And then there's another part in the scripture that's a little bit confusing, and I just want to bring some clarity to it, where it talks about the father's sins and the children's sins. If it brought up a red flag as you were reading it, on this side of Jesus Christ, on the New Testament side, we're like, wait, I'm not going to be punished for my father's sins, right? So if you look back in Ezekiel 18, 19 and 20, it talks about when the son has done what is lawful and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall, he shall surely live. So, when God says, he will not live, leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the fathers to the sons. He's specifically talking about, are you following your earthly father's footsteps, or are you going to turn away from your father's footsteps? So, again, we go back to repentance. If you're following in your father's footsteps of sin, then you will have consequences. If you turn away from your father's footsteps of sin, then no, you will not have the consequences of your father's wrongdoing. Does that make sense? So in the bottom part of our passage where it talks about forgiveness but not, and then being punished for your dad's sins, do you have a little bit of clarity now with that? He does forgive if you're repentant. If you're not, well, then you're choosing your own, right? He does forgive you for your sins and the sins that are passed down from you if you turn away, if you're repentant. If not, well, then you know what's going to happen. Okay, now that we got those two seemingly contradictory things aside, I want to get to the part that I love in this passage. The top of verse 6, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, 
forgiving, wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. Whew. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. I want to I dig into that and really, ah, so good. If you're taking notes, can you draw a triangle for me? If not, just visualize, okay? Draw a triangle. Draw a triangle. Okay. On the top of the triangle, I want you to write the number three. If you're not taking notes, maybe you should. Grab a pen on the chair and just draw it on your arm. You need a visual. Okay? Triangle. Top. Draw three. Bottom left corner, or angle to be exact. Bottom left, number one. Bottom right, number five. And then go up halfway, okay? Halfway up the triangle. And between one and three, I want you to write the number two. Oh, we're getting complex over here. And then above number five and before the number three, we're gonna go with four. Okay, so let's take a look for a second. Triangle. One, five, two, four, three. Or one, two, three, four, five, yeah? <laughs> See, this is why we're better together, yeah? All right, all right, marriage. Okay, so, <laughs> so these numbers correspond with verse 6, okay? Look at God's character. Number one is about how God is merciful and gracious. So next to number one, you can write that, God, merciful and gracious. Number two, slow to anger. And this just corresponds with the verse. Slow to anger. Three, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Four, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Let me just shorthand it. And then five is forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, or whatever your translation says. Okay, one, merciful and gracious God. Two, slow to anger. Three, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Four, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And five, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Okay, the triangle of God's mercy. Now, the reason why number three is at the top, the abounding, is because from that flows into all the rest of God's mercy. Can you see that? So, I mean, if you want, we can think of a volcano, and on the top, explodes, and then the lava goes down, huh? or whatever you want to think of. Just triangle. Okay, we can go at a triangle. So, number three, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Because of his steadfast love and faithfulness, he is able to be slow to anger and keep steadfast love for thousands. Two and four are connected. And because of that, it flows down into being merciful and gracious and being a God who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, all of these things are connected, but I'm hoping this triangle helps you understand a little bit of a deeper understand, have a deeper understanding into God's mercy. 
it all flows out of his abounding, steadfast love and faithfulness. My translation says the richness of his faithful love and truth. Because of that part of God's character, he has mercy on us and he shows grace to us. And from mercy and grace, I'm going to go into purity. To be pure, to be whole, to be complete, to have nothing blemishing inside, right? Pure water, pure bread, pit bull, pure 100% Kona coffee. Pure, right? It's strong. There's no defect in it. There's nothing inside of it that can spoil it from the inside out. Pure, okay? Purity. Now, purity and holiness are directly connected. And in Leviticus, God says, be holy for I am holy. Essentially, he's saying be pure because I am pure. Now, it's only through grace and mercy that we can do that. Amen? It's only through grace and mercy that we can be pure. But because of his abounding faithful love and truth, because of his abounding steadfast love and faithfulness, we can be pure. All things are possible through Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, um, Pastor Kuiper wanted me to talk about some of the decisions I made in the dating realm, purity, and he wanted me to give a female perspective. I'm like, okay, I'm a female. I have a perspective. I made decisions. I guess I could share. It's kind of boring to me, but I guess by God's grace and mercy, I have a boring testimony. So here it is. Um, I got saved when I was 14, told you that story, and then I decided that I wanted to focus on knowing who God is. I had a hunger to know this God. I had all these questions, right, that were burdening me, and every time people gave me answers, it was kind of like, have faith. You'll get it. Don't worry about it. God has it. I was like, no, I want answers. And so when I became a Christian, I just had a hunger for the word, and I if you pray anything every day for the rest of your life, pray for a hunger for God's word because I tell you that will transform your life, okay? I had a hunger for his word and um, I asked him, will you just reveal your character to me? I'm, I'm not gonna date. I'm not gonna date till I'm 16, okay? I'm not gonna date till I'm 16 because I wanna know you, God. At, a, at 14, I said this to the Lord. I said, I wanna know who you are and I have examples in my head from my parents. I have a broken relationship, a broken example in my head. I have friends that are making stupid decisions right now next to me, and I'm just like, I don't want that. I want to know you, God, and I'm not going to date because that's distracting, and people are dumb, okay? So I said, I'm not going to date. I turned 16, and I was just stoked on God. I was just learning so much. I was learning to play the guitar. I had all kinds of stuff that I was involved in, sports, extracurriculars. I just didn't have time for a boyfriend. Plus, people were still dumb. So I was like, you know what, God? I'm doing, like, pretty good right now with the no dating thing. I mean, it was hard. I, like, liked people, and, and I knew when people had crushes on me, you know, like, sometimes, you know. So I was like, okay, but... I still waited out before the Lord and was like, you know what? I still want to know you more. And I don't want to be making really dumb decisions that will spiral me into this craziness that my friend over here is going through and my friend over there is going through. I know what my parents went through and are still going through. I see my brothers and I trying to live out 
what life is and we're just all mm, because of whatever. So I was like, you know what? I just, no, I'm not going to date. I'm not going to date. And then I turned 18. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to college. There's going to be some cute boys. What now? What now, God? So I decided, you know what? I trust God. And I, at that point, I mean, at 18, I was very different than what I was when I was 14. I had a hunger for the Lord. I tried to build a firm foundation on his word and walking in the spirit and being disciplined and reading my Bible and praying and things like that. And so at this point, I said, you know what, God, I'm not going to give it a number because that's, I'm too old for that. <laughs> so I said, God, you're going to show me when it's time to date because that's not my focus. My focus right now is you. And so I decided to go to a Christian university and just really pursue God and pursue being the best in whatever field I was going to be in. And so what happened was the first couple years, um, I had an incredible dose of culture shock because I went to school in South Carolina. Okay? From Maui to South Carolina, I get there, and the head of the women's housing said, Hi, honey, how was your trip? Trip was like three syllables. I was like, trip. Whoa. And because she was talking slow, I was like thinking slow, and I kind of stood there like. And so I, had, I think I had a friend translate for me, and I was like, oh, good. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Okay. Yeah. And so I get there and they talk different. I don't understand them. They didn't understand me. I was no, I used to be like funny where I came from. And then I get there and they're like, huh, you're not funny. And then I got just really frustrated in my heart because I was like, man, I'm these people, these people, I tell you. Okay. And then all the while, I'm going to the school, and I want to be like a missionary, right? I want to go into foreign missions, and I can't stand the culture that I'm in. And I was like, whoa, hold on. It's a good thing I had an accountability partner, a sister in Christ, who revealed to me, Nicole, you are racist. <laughs> like, what? I'm not racist. Bro, do you know where I'm from? Do you, know what kind of, do you know what kind of blood I have in here? Like, I'm not racist. They're dumb, but I'm not racist. <laughs> oh, wow. God had his work cut out for him, I tell you. So I get there, and then I'm trying to, like, to learn about the Lord, and I go on these mission trips, and then God just shows me that time and space obey him. Acts 17, he created a specific time and place for everyone to live, and I was like, okay, God, this is where you have me. My heart is to do what you want me to do. Help me not to be so racist. And so God softened my heart for his people because he revealed to me, if I love him, I better love his people. You know what I mean? And then, ironically, I meet this holly boy over here. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, hold up. I like him. <laughs> And I prayed about it. I really did. I prayed until I had an assurance from the Lord. I prayed and I fasted even. I had this awkward moment where I was fasting because we were already dating. And I was fasting because I wanted assurance from God to know if he were to ask me to marry him, like yes or no. You know what I mean? I wasn't like expecting him to ask me, but if he did, I wanted to know if it was yes or no. Okay. 
So I'm fasting, and I'm over at his house, and they're serving dessert, and they have this neighbor over, kind of really interesting character, kind of fun, really fun older man, so very, like, bold. He just says what's on his mind, kind of old man, you know? So they're passing out dessert, and I'm not eating, and he's like, Nicole, are you fasting or something? I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, no, did that just nullify my answer from the Lord? <laughs> because I, okay, I don't know. So I, wa- I truly did give to the Lord my decision-making with possibly letting my first boyfriend into my life. Because it was like, I was, I don't know, what, 19? I don't know. And I had never dated. I just chose not to. Those were the decisions I made because I wanted to focus on God. And so it was time. And I said, God, if this is your will, make it so obvious to me. Make it so obvious to me and give me a piece. And he did. And so when Josh asked, I said, yes. I know, right? And that was like in 2008, and it's 2015, so whatever that means. So since then, yeah, math is not my strong suit, right? So since then, (laughs) since then, um, God has blessed us with two kids, and I'll tell you what, marriage is the strongest sanctifying agent in my life. It'll, It'll make you more like God. It'll make you die to self every day, but so will motherhood, okay? So don't go into those decisions lightly. All right. So bringing it back, grace, mercy, and purity, okay? Because of God's grace, his unmerited favor, giving us what we don't deserve. Because of his mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, we can be pure, okay? I made decisions by God's grace and mercy and because I didn't date and because I said no to different things of the world he blessed me with physical purity until I got married and it was I mean still because I am married anyway so I mean those are the decisions I made and to me it's kind of a boring testimony but because of his grace and mercy I can stand here before you and share that you know I'm not one of those whatever, down in the depths, and God brought me back up. No, God kept me consistent through my life because I chose him over everything else. And my prayer and my encouragement to you is to choose him every day, yeah? And it's his grace and mercy that's going to get you through it, that's going to keep you pure. And if your story doesn't turn out like mine, that's okay. It's your story, right? So to close, I want to bring us back to this scripture. Look at it again with me. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And now look at verse 8. Moses immediately bowed down to the ground and worshipped. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you. You are worthy of our praise. God, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. 
I thank you for the peace that transcends all understanding that you give us through Christ as we present our request to you with thanksgiving. I thank you for the way you are able to give abundantly more than all we could ask for or imagine because you are a good God. You abound in unfailing love. You are limitless. We are limited, God. I pray that you would continue to reveal your love to us. I pray you would give each and every one of us here a hunger for your word. Help us to desire to know you, Lord. Thank you again for your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.